0: Please do turn with me this morning to John's Gospel in chapter 17. We're continuing our studies in the great high priestly prayer, as it's called. The words of the Lord Jesus. These are words of such holiness. Of course, the whole of the Word of God is holy. But when we think of Christ's words, before he came to Calvary... And the very thoughts that he used in this prayer, they have a particular poignancy and significance. And we read here in verse 13, he says this, And now come I to thee. He comes to his Father, and he's praying for us. And he says, And these things I speak in the world. He's about to leave his earthly life. Thirty-three years will come to an end within a day. And he says that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So our subject this morning. Christ's joy, our joy. There is something very deep here. We shall try to unpack it and to unfold it. How can it be that Christ has joy in the day before he dies? How can it be that he has joy as what lies before him is punishment, suffering, sorrow and death? Well, we shall try to understand it. But the first theme mentioned in verse 11 is again the keeping of all his people. He mentions this, that he would have us to be secure in our faith, secure in our life. He wants us to be kept three times. In two verses he mentions the same word. He says in verse 11, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. He's thinking particularly of his disciples, but also of his followers at that time, and surely also of us, those who name the name of Christ, those who've trusted and believed. He says, keep Through thine own name, he's looking forward. And he's saying, Holy Father, keep them. He says again, verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept my disciples. I didn't allow them to fall. I didn't allow their squabbles to get the better of them. Remember that time when one of the disciples said, Who is greatest? Who is the one that will have the best position in heaven? And the Lord Jesus looks at them and says, You don't understand. I and my Father will be the greatest. Yes, you will have fellowship with me. But this isn't about who's the greatest. There is only one who is great, and that's the Father. And I am co-equal with the Father. And you are just sinners saved by grace. And So he says that he has kept them. He goes on to say, Those that thou hast given me, I have kept. And so there's really two themes. The keeping of his people. And then the joy that he has, and thirdly, the joy that we will have if we look to him, if we love him, if we live our lives for him. His keeping and his joy and our joy. Just think of Simon Peter. How often his impetuous, impulsive spirit got the better of him. And the Lord says, I've kept him. I've kept him from his nature, from the natural man that sometimes wells up within Simon Peter, and I've gradually subdued it. Yes, as they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Simon Peter again will disappoint Three times he will deny his Saviour. His own spirit will get the better of him, but Christ will keep him. and Christ will tell him that one day he will feed his lambs. Peter, Simon Peter, the one that fell, the one that was the sheep that went astray, will be used as an under-shepherd to feed my sheep. So Christ says, He will keep. What will He keep us from? Well, we thought about it briefly, just to recap. He will keep us from losing our salvation. Well, you say, what about Judas? Judas never had salvation, he never fell from grace because he never had grace. Judas was deceived in his own heart. And the Lord knew it all along. And there will be those, Demas, who loved the present world. Judas, who loved himself and loved a few silver coins more than he loved Christ. Judas didn't fall. He never had grace. He was one that went away. He was one that the cares of this world got hold of him and he thought the earthly gain, a bag of coins, was more important than loyalty to his master who was not really his master. And so there was with him a terrible tragedy, a betrayal. Christ knew all about this. For some... The Lord keeps us from hypocrisy, from saying one thing and doing another. From some, he keeps us from this world. We come to church. We pray. We say, if ever I love thee, Lord, it is now. Then we go and betray what we've said. We make our home in Hollywood. We take up our occupations in the world. The Lord says you can't have me and have the world. You're a double-minded man. You're unstable in all your ways. You don't know whether you're with me or against me. If you're for me, you'll be against the world. And so the Lord keeps us from This present world. He keeps us from denying truth and he keeps us from disunity. We'll come back to that. He's prayed that we might be, verse 11, one, as we are. That's a very deep thought. We'll come back to it. And so let's have our three points this morning Christ's keeping of his people. Three times he mentions keep. Well, we ask the question do we need to be kept? The answer is yes. We are weak. We are sinful. No wonder Christ says of his disciples, I have kept them, kept them in the world. We don't keep ourselves. We need to be kept. Yes, there's a partnership. He says, look to me. He says, look to the shepherd. He says, don't look down. He says, look up. We have duties. We have responsibilities. Don't look to the world for help. Look to me. Of course, it's the covenant of grace that keeps us. And the reason we are kept is because that promise, that covenant, that contract It's not between me and God. It's between God the Father and God the Son. And God who cannot lie will keep his own. He will keep his people. If you're a child of God this morning, don't fear. It's not possible for you to lose your salvation. He will keep you. He will hold you. This word keep means guard, preserve, protect. None of you will fall from grace because the Lord has kept you. Why do I need to be kept? Just think of some of the pictures of me and you this morning. You are described as being like grass, weak, growing up, In the morning it's strong and tall, in the afternoon we're cut down. Yes, that's a picture of the unbeliever, but we're all like grass. We're pictured as being like bruised reeds. The Lord says we will be damaged by this world, but the Lord will care for bruised reeds. We're described as shadows that will decline as the sun goes down. We're weak, we're not strong. If anybody thinks you're strong this morning, be very careful. Take heed, lest you fall. Do you know this morning you're strong if you feel your weakness? Do you feel your weakness this morning? Just a sheep? Just grass, just bruised reeds, just a shadow. Take heed if you think you're strong, lest you fall. Do you know we travel through this life, don't we? We go through the valleys. We go through the fire. We go through the floods. Will I be lost? Will I be damaged? No, the Lord says. Psalm 121, verse 5. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve, same word, thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve and keep Thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth forevermore and even forevermore. Do you know the security, the keeping of God's people is certain. If you are a child of God, and I sincerely hope you are this morning, the Lord will keep you. The Lord will hold you. He will preserve you. He will protect you. But we need to look to him. Go back to verse 11. Notice this phrase. This is what Christ says to his Father. That they, that's us, may be one as we are. Do you know one of the wonderful ways in which God keeps us? He keeps us in unity together. Think of the Father and the Son, two distinct persons with two distinct roles. The Father didn't come down, Christ came down. The Father didn't reveal the Son, the Son revealed himself. So there are two distinct persons. But Christ says, we are one and you know the way that we are kept is by being one with the father what does that mean one in the truth one in love one in desire one in objective one in purpose that's how we are kept and the problem comes when we deviate when it becomes my will, my desire, my pleasure, my way, not God's way. And so there's something very significant in that phrase that we, that they may be one as we are. If you want to be kept, if you want to be kept in the love of God, if you want to know him and feel him and adore him, you need to be in the truth. You need to be one with Christ. If you feel yourself this morning, you've departed, you need to come back and hear that prayer that we may be one as we are. Well, there's a wonderful truth here that as Christ keeps us. Why does he do it? Why does he keep me? And the only answer we can give is because he's placed a value upon my soul, my life, my usefulness, that he desires that I should be a peculiar treasure to him. He's called me chosen precious, a peculiar treasure. How can that be? My life that seems so worthless, so empty, so disappointing. And yet, he desires to keep me. And the fact that he kept these 11 disciples that were in the faith, and he can say, I have kept them, and he surely did, It means he will keep us, because he puts a value upon us. Then we can say as well, he keeps us eternally. Do you know we are to him of more value and more precious than the crown jewels that sit in the Tower of London or wherever they are today. He says to us, none can touch the apple of mine eye, that's the little black pupil inside the eye, one of the most vulnerable parts of our whole body. It even has an eyelid to protect it. Half the time, my eyes are closed and that little pupil, that little dot, is protected. And that's what he says of you and me. You are like that tiny dot The apple of mine eye. It means he's looking on us through the pupil, so to speak. And it means I'm treasured, valued, kept, secure. What a comfort this is. No wonder. Three times he says, keep, keep, kept. And that's what he would do for me. He would keep me. He would hold me. If you're experiencing some trouble this morning, be comforted. The Lord will keep you. But, friends, I have to say this. If you don't know the Lord, you are not the apple of his eye. If you don't know his everlasting arms around you, if you don't know that he's saved and rescued you and cleansed your heart, and you can say this morning, he is all I love, then you're not kept. You're not yet one of his children. And you need to come to him in order that he would keep you. Well, our second theme this morning, Christ's joy. It's down there in verse 13. He's now coming again to the Father. He says it pleadingly, now come i to thee i've got something very important he's already prayed that we would be kept and he says these things i speak in the world i'm about to leave and i must pray this prayer that they he's speaking of his people again that they might have my joy let's think of christ's joy this is a wonderful theme christ's joy how can he have joy we read hebrews 12 verse 2 who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame christ sees everything he sees the number of thorns in the crown he sees the number of nails that will be pushed into his hands and into his feet. And he sees them. He sees every scorn and mocking and spitting. He sees it all. He sees every one of his children. He's going to the cross to die so that you might have life. He's going to be mocked so that you don't have to take the scorn that he took. He goes to suffer so that I don't have to suffer in hell. He goes to bear the reputation damage so that I don't have to have the reputation damage that he took. He goes to wear the crown of thorns so that I can wear a crown of life And he goes to take all this and he considers it joy. Joy. He doesn't see suffering. He doesn't see pain. Oh, it's there. He doesn't see mocking. Because he's able to look through Calvary. Look through Gethsemane. And how does he do it? Well, maybe he sees his father beyond the grave. He sees that through the cross and through the grave lies his Father, and his Father will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and he will be received into heaven. He sees that victory is guaranteed, we thought of it. He can say that word, one word in the Greek, it is finished. And that will be his victory. He sees the defeat of all his enemies, squashed, trampled underfoot, like a puff of a cloud of smoke, defeated, the dust lifting, as the Lord defeats all his enemies. And you know, I think this is something very helpful. He sees that every step he will take He will do the will of the Father. Do you know there's no greater joy in my life to do the will of the Father? What joy that gives when you have a difficult task, a difficult meeting. You've got some difficult news to explain. You have to confront sin in the family, sin in a marriage, sin in the workplace, And you can say, I do the will of the Father. And you know Christ was confronting all of sin in all of his people. And he can say, I do the will of the Father. What joy that gave him. Maybe he saw the blood that would be shed. And he knew that every drop that would fall from Calvary would have power power to cleanse to change to transform to take a life from darkness and death to light and life maybe he saw that he would overcome death itself and Satan and he would go to heaven and he would be ascended maybe those were the things that were on his mind Maybe he thought of Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye, lift up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? Says the psalmist. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And that's what Christ did. He went to fight the fight that we don't have to fight. The fight of death. The fight with Satan. One day he would rise again. Ascended unto his father. That was his joy. His joy. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Six hours of agony suffering and pain for each one of his children. Wouldn't you look to the cross today? Wouldn't you look to your Savior? Wouldn't you see his pain? So that you don't have to suffer and be punished if you will come to him. But then there's a third point here this morning. His keeping his security of his people, his joy. But he asks his Father that they might have my joy fulfilled. The word means complete. Do you have joy this morning? Joy to the world, we sang. Joy to the world. Christ is come. There is no joy in this world Listen to this carefully. There is no joy in this world that is eternal, satisfying, unchanging. Apart from you know the joy that Christ had. It's an understanding his joy that you will have joy in this life. That they might have my joy fulfilled In themselves. This is a deep thought. I live my life. I have sorrow. I have joy. I have difficulties. I have valleys. I have fires. I have temptations. How will I get through this life? The answer is I can't. And I won't unless I know his joy, unless I know that me discovering joy and me experimenting with life and me going for joy here and there, that won't satisfy. The only joy that will truly satisfy is if I have his joy. What does he say, Paul? That we might be more than conquerors Through him that loved us, he's the author of joy, and therefore he's the giver of joy. He's the object of joy, he's the subject of joy. The one that is joy is the one that gives joy. He says the oil of joy will be given instead of mourning. That's what this life is. It's a life of war, conflict, separation, struggling, temptation, sin, day after day after day. And if that's the life that you're living, you need to come to the one who is the Prince of Peace. The one who, when he came to this earth, the angels announce he brings good tidings Of great joy. That's the Christian life. It is and it should be a life of joy. Sometimes we pretend it's not. We come to worship and our hearts are down and we sing wonderful words and there's no joy. It shouldn't be like that, friends. We should have joy in the heart. Joy in singing, joy in seeing one another, joy in the Lord. This is the Christian life, and that's what the Lord is praying here. The Lord Jesus says that they might have my joy. If we had more of Christ's joy, more of Calvary joy, wouldn't our lives be better? Wouldn't we have more joy? What is this joy? Is it a joy that's worked up? The lights go down. The stroboscope starts. The beat gets louder. And the rhythm gets stronger. Is that joy? No. This joy, John Newton said, solid joys. And lasting pleasure, none but Zion's children know. He wrote those words just a few miles from here. Is that the joy you know? Solid joys? Not a joy of an event? Not a joy of a band? Not a joy that's worked up for two or three hours? But let me tell you the basis of this joy. Seven things. This joy comes from the assurance of salvation. That's real joy. And that joy shouldn't fade and fall. It should be strong. I've been accepted by Christ. I was unacceptable. I was rejected. I wasn't reconciled, but now... I'm one with Christ. That's solid joy, to know that I'm forgiven, to know I have assurance of salvation. I know he is mine and I am his. That's the first thing. The second thing is to have a consciousness that I've been justified. My sin, it deserved punishment. But that punishment's been taken for me by Christ. Now, legally, I've been justified, made as though I've never sinned. I'm right with God. My sin's forgiven. We call it justification. And we can have a conscious knowledge of the justification that Christ gives to his people. The third thing, I'm a child of God. I'm not a child of wrath. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted, brought into His family, a son, a daughter. Now we call each other brother, sister, father, mother. There is that kindred spirit because we've been adopted. Do you know the joy when we realize we're now insiders, we're not outsiders? We're within a family covenant. And then fourthly, there is that abiding complete joy. It's mentioned in our text that we may have joy fulfilled, filled up it means. Abundant joy, filled up joy. That's becoming a Christian. A joy that's complete. A joy that won't ebb and flow. And this is a A joy that's fruitful. Isaiah nine verse three you don't need to turn to it speaks about a harvest of joy, a joy that's fruitful, it's shared with others. And then sixthly unchanging joy. This joy, the very character it is built upon truth that doesn't change. If you want this joy it's not a feeling, it's a truth. And then finally, this is eternal joy. A joy that doesn't fade away. A joy that's for all eternity. And in heaven, that joy will get stronger and stronger. The more we know of God, the more we see of him, the more our eyes are opened, it will be pure joy. Nothing else will spoil it in heaven. Joy that is unmarred by the sorrows of life. that's what he prays for here, that you might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We've thought of God's keeping hand upon his people, securely kept. We've thought of his joy as he goes to Calvary And in this life we will only have and know his joy, real joy, lasting joy, if the joy that we have is actually his joy, his joy that was mingled with sorrow in life, but in heaven it will be pure joy forever, eternally. Christ wants his people to be kept securely. His disciples were kept, and we will be kept. And he wants us to be a happy people, and we will have pure happiness if we know his joy, solid joys, lasting pleasure and treasure. None but Zion's children know.